Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I was very impressed with your flavors, Howard, and that was a few years ago now, so it would have been even more modern back then, you know, like pesto. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Bake Down Podcast. I am Sarah. I will be your host today. And today with me, as always, we have the lovely Dan Beasley Harling, Jane Beadle, and Howard Middleton. Now we are into week two for our season four podcast. Still very, very exciting. And we are into bread week. Now, this week we only had 12 bakers so we've got rid of one of our baker's dozen and uh, now at least this week Howard nobody had to be on the like the naughty bench at the at the front of the tent no <laughs> no it's a proper tent layout this week isn't it so yeah you can cope with that <laughs> exactly now Jane I know in the press in the last few weeks there's been a bit of unsettling ideas about Bake Off and how it's sort of started to get a bit carried away with itself maybe even some of the showrunners have said that they feel that way how did you feel about watching Bread Week from season four? Do you know what I absolutely loved it there's something very comforting about it and I don't know whether it's because Howard's there and he makes me feel very happy um what it'll be like looking at Dan's series could be a completely different thing um no I absolutely loved it the thing that concerned me when we first talked about going back and looking at some of the easiest series and there's no offense to you guys as bakers Howard because I know what brilliant bakers you all are knowing how it's, it seems to have got more and more difficult and the challenges more and more elaborate over the the sort of more recent series I was worried that I might be a bit meh really you know these bakes are just too easy but they're brilliant bakes. Uh, you know, the, the breaks in this episode, I want to make them all, whether they've reminded me of ones I've made in the past or I've never made them. I, I think there's a lot to be said for going back to the sort of bakes most people at home would like to do. So I, it made me very happy watching this episode, apart from watching Paul, because he came up with a couple of things that made me feel quite ill. But there we go. Apart from that, I just absolutely loved it. Yeah, I would I would agree, actually. I think some of the baits were surprisingly basic, but I'm sure we'll get on to that in a minute. But I think yeah, they focused more on the technique. And there was a lot of talk about technique. And it wasn't just about who had the craziest flavours or, you know, the most wild presentation. So I thought that was good. I really enjoyed it. And as, as we were saying before we started, you know, we sort of looked at a lot of those bakes and thought, oh, I can make those. I'd like to have a go at those. And they didn't seem too taxing. Yeah, it was uh, exciting. Bread Week in Week 2, though, just feels wrong to me was it always in week two was it always week three bread week no it, it was in the early series it was week two and then it got got moved didn't it i think biscuits got moved earlier on yeah testing bread making skills is definitely a a good technique and i think something you you'd want quite early on to make sure everybody is up to scratch with their bread right well let's kick off 
our podcast episode then with Bread Week. So Howard, just before we start talking about our first challenge, how did it feel going in for episode two? Because obviously we've had number one, we've had cakes, you did quite well with cakes, despite, you know, the various, you know, knife complications (laughs) that you had throughout that episode. How did you feel going in for episode two? Looking at me in this series, I think, my goodness, smile a bit. I thought you were supposed to be enjoying this. I did look so stressed and so tense. And and, and I think I've said previously, there were quite a few of us who, who were a bit like that. But I thought, bread, this this is, I can do bread. This This is a good week for me. And it didn't quite turn out as well as I expected it to be. So uh, I, I was optimistic. I was thankful that I'd actually got through the first week, looking forward to this one. And then, yeah, not not quite what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Expectation is a killer, though. It is. The weeks I thought I would do well at, I didn't. And the weeks I didn't think I'd do well at, I did. I think it's expectation is often your worst enemy, mm. isn't it? Well, I would just like to take a moment to point out that Amazon Prime uh, rated the age rating of this episode 13 because of foul <gasps> language. Ooh. What foul language? What, was, what foul language was that? <laughs> the, uh, I actually, <laughs> I took a note of this, that there were three... F- three technically foul languages Mm. for anybody obviously you guys on the podcast can't see i am doing the air quotes um glenn said sod it at one point becca said jesus i can't count and then becca said it stuck to the bloody tray yes how very racy i know (laughs) but then i'm sorry if i've offended anybody with that language Also, there was some, a bit of blatant innuendo. I think Christine at one point said, I'm going to keep on looking at their bottoms, like she was just walking past a building site. I mean, what's that about? Does she, I mean, she might not have meant it like that. It just comes across like that, doesn't it? But, oh, crikey, I'd like to see what Amazon have rated the um, last few because the language has got quite choice, even yeah. I'm mm. easily offended. But we've had quite a lot of swear words, I would say, in the recent series. Ooh. Channel 4 is just X-rated. Oh, is it? <laughs> Can't watch that unless you're 18. X-rated stuff. <laughs> right, well, let's get on to the meat of the episode. Our signature challenge this week was 36 breadsticks made using a yeasted dough and had to be at least 25 centimetres long. And there were two hours for this challenge. Now, Howard, I think it'd be remiss of us if we didn't mention that you will be doing these Moroccan breadsticks as well as your Picasso sunbread from The Showstopper in our Bake Along Bake Off series that we're doing. Yes. Are you excited to be doing that one again? <laughs> I, I am excited. I'm really excited to be doing the decorative loaf again, the Picasso sunbread, the breadsticks. Oh, my goodness. I, I get confused by breadsticks, I, I must admit, because when I looked at my recipe for this, I thought, why did I have it on such a low setting? Why didn't I turn it, turn the heat up and ha- and crisp them up a bit better? And then watching the episode back again, uh, there's Rob, who's a bit of an expert, sort of saying, keep it low and dry them out. And he demonstrates with his uh, opening the oven door and his glass of steam up and so on. So we've got the recipe, but what temperature we'll be cooking these on, I've no idea. <laughs> so, everybody, I really look forward to Howard's class. It's yeah, going to be, be a real bake-off moment. Yeah. <laughs> So anybody who wants to join us for Howard's decorative loaf class, where we will be doing his orange and oregano Picasso sunbread, as well as his Moroccan themed breadsticks. This class will be taking place on Sunday, the 12th of March. So we hope to see some of you there. Now, Jane, watching this episode, uh, we had lots of different flavours in all our breadsticks. Is there anything that really stuck out for you? First of all, I'd just like to comment on a couple of things Paul said at the beginning, which went, made me go, oh, for heaven's sake, he hasn't improved <laughs> in over the years. He said, well, the thing about breadsticks, it's all down to the proving and baking. No. Really? Really? The proving and baking? Comment of the week. Stating the obvious. And then he said something about, they, they've got to do this, that, and he said, I'll be on them like a rash. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I thought, oh, that's got me right off my breadsticks. What a horrible thought, Paul being on you like a rash. I really didn't like that. Put me straight off. I thought they all did 
very well. I didn't like the, I mean, poor Lucy. She was, I mean, there was nothing to like or dislike about Lucy's, was there really? And I didn't like the sound of Francis's. Beautiful presentation, stunning as always, but I didn't like the sound of this. I did like the sound of Ali's. Was it Ali's who had the blue cheese in? The garlic, parmesan and blue cheese. I was worried when he said blue cheese that maybe it may make them a little bit soft. But it it seemed to really work for him. I thought they were lovely. And did I misread? Because I'm finding it very hard with these series. Because with the current series, you get right at the beginning, you know, and here's Howard and here's what he's baking and up come all the details. Now you have to wait sometimes to the judging to get the detail, you know, what they're baking. So did two of them make fennel and chilli? They yes, did. Yeah. Deborah and Becca did fennel and chilli. Who copied who? Uh, well, we know we know that doesn't happen, don't we? We can't possibly. No, we, no, we know. We know. We know. I like the idea of fennel and chili. I love a bit of fennel and chili, and maybe che- a little bit of cheese in there would have been nice. But I think on on the whole, I liked all of the flavors pretty much that had flavors in them. Didn't fancy a bit of raisin in there though. I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't mad about that. And and I was very concerned about Glenn putting in his butter and milk. And maybe that's why his were irregular in colour and things. I don't, I don't know. But on the whole, well, of course, I loved Howard's with the preserved lemon. Goes without saying. I thought on the whole, I, I liked them all. You know, it was a very good. I like. I really enjoyed the challenge, and the different shapes and sizes, and rolling it out with the pasta machine or not or whatever. I thought it was great. Yeah, I did. I have to say, I didn't remember. Howard for being anything other than charming. I'm afraid, Howard. But um, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But when I look back at your flavours on this episode, they were really quite wild. Like, especially, you know, like the preserved lemons with the Rezal Hanu and then you did the orange and oregano. I was like, fair play to you. Like, I don't think I would have come up with something so out there. And they were so well received. So I was very impressed with you, Howard. I was like, this Howard might be a good baker. I was very impressed with your flavours, Howard, and that was a few years ago now, so it would have been even more modern back then, you know, like pesto. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought there were some really interesting ones, although I think it was just Lucy, God love her, but she just did Grassini with salt. And I just thought, what? I know. I mean, I know that on Baker we all have to push the boat out. I'm like, the salt doesn't even count as a flavour, does it? Everything should have a bit of seasoning on it. It's just very odd to just make plain breadsticks. But I did think this episode watching Frances, one of the criticisms that I believe she got later in the series, more so than the beginning, was everything is a bit style over substance. And watching this episode now, I did think, God, everything had a theme, didn't it? Everything had a quirky presentation. When I saw her matchsticks, I thought, yeah, they look really cool. But actually, I didn't know if I particularly wanted to, to, to eat those. So I started to see the early emergence of style over substance maybe and um, this is not a you know I love Frances I met her a couple times in real life she's a lovely girl but there's a lot of style and maybe not quite as much substance I think I would agree with that is that is that too too harsh for so early on in the podcast no I think it's fair early on and then I think no no the girl started with John, <laughs> um I think I, I think then she changed didn't she by the end her style was sort of even with her substance I think mm, that's I, part of her arc maybe yeah yeah I loved watching her all through and I just remember you know really enjoying seeing what she was going to produce and of course we can't taste it when we're watching I thought rubies were also very fun with the twisting the two doughs together and when she when yeah. when she described it I assumed it would be kind of like a lumpy twist but it was a smooth you know she obviously incorporated it when the dough was still nice and wet and it was a nice smooth twist in terms of the technique the only thing that surprised me and this is a pet hate of mine is when you have a bread recipe for some reason people have the instinct to need using more flour and i always tell people in all of my bread classes this is incorrect like if you're shaping sometimes a bit of flour is useful to stop the dough from sticking to the table and forming a a smooth side but when you're kneading you should not be adding more flour into it and i'm getting nods of agreement from jane howard which i'm slightly relieved about I find it very off, off-putting when we when we see that. So, um, yeah, I didn't like that. that. That made the hackles on the back of my neck go up. But um, I wonder how much that would have affected things like the consistency of shaping of the breadsticks because you're sort of creating parts of the flour that haven't been developed and haven't got the same stretchiness as the flour that has been needed from the start. That's exactly right, Dan. That's why you don't add lots of flour because you have got some bits that have had the gluten developed and some bits that haven't and... 
as we saw, sticky doughs, if you work at them, gradually come together in a lovely smooth dough that are not sticking on the work surface. And, and, and a trick as well, if you really cannot bear to knead it, certainly something like a focaccia, which actually I hardly need, I don't need at all really, is put some oil on the work surface and that sounds counterintuitive. It sounds as though you're going to make it stickier, but actually it makes it easier to get going because somehow it doesn't stick to the work surface. It was Christine, wasn't it, that was saying, you know, you've just got to keep at it and it all comes together. So good old Christine. Oh, I like Christine. She's very nice. I've met her, met her several times. Well, there you go. We like to learn things as well as be entertained. Now, Howard, something that most, I think if, if not all of you weren't doing was kneading in the stand mix. I think most people were kneading by hand. Obviously, that's, that's a choice. Were you ever told you couldn't use mechanical help for any of the challenges at any point? Or is it just personal choice? Not that I remember. And I think when we get on to kind of our sweet dough week, I think a lot of people, I think we did use sand mixers when we were doing kind of brioche type doughs and so on, enriched doughs. I think Ruby summed it up pretty accurately in that she's, she'd not got one at home. And therefore, you don't want to be doing it differently to the way that you've done it in practice. So I, I was certainly in the same boat where I thought I'll just do it the way that I've done it at home. Yeah, and I think stand mixers are everywhere these days. Um, but back, you know, they're very expensive. And you know, back, you know, when you if you're just starting off baking, it's a huge amount of money to lay out if you don't know that you're going to use it. So I think you know nowadays lots of people have stand mixers, but you know, sort of five six years ago, I don't think that was necessarily the case. It was certainly a while before I bought mine. I was doing everything you know with an electric hand whisk or with, with a spoon for a long long time and I still do I've actually put mine in the cupboard and got my air fryer out instead and I haven't missed it I do most of my stuff by hand or with an electric hand whisk as well for classes that we do because some people don't even have an electric hand whisk in some of our classes please don't do my tiramisu class <laughs> we're there with a balloon whisk <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know I think most recipes are accessible to people with a minimum amount of equipment and we've all sort of got oh lovely look at that lovely kitchen aid and oh, well, I want one in pale blue you really don't need it it takes up a lot of room and it costs you 500 quid or something and it doesn't make you a better baker but how would you use your stand mixer all the time don't you <laughs> I do too. It looks nice. It looks really, really nice. <laughs> I occasionally wipe, wipe it down so that it looks clean. Okay, Aww. But no, it doesn't get a lot of use, I have to say. It's like a nice jag that you keep in the garage. You're like, well, it looks nice. Yeah. I can polish it. <laughs> Lovely. Well, yes, we had a lot of really nice bakes in our breadstick challenge. I think everybody was trying to make sure they got the the good snap. Uh, and as we've said, Rob summed it up really nicely, saying that sort of low and slow would be the best technique to help dry them out. Lucy definitely, though, coming in bottom of this challenge, not that we rank it quite like that, but there were very irregular shapes as well. She had a technique where she didn't roll. She sort of stretched as she heard that was the traditional way. And I think Paul and Mary were too impressed. But we had some lovely, lovely flavours. And I think was it Ruby that was really starting to pull away from uh, from the batch, maybe to start to think about becoming our first star baker. I, I must admit, I, w- I, I was on the bench behind Ruby for this particular episode, and I was absolutely mesmerised by her skill. Just the way that she could craft those breadsticks, and then when she gets onto the the showstopper, it's like magic watching her. Absolute magic. Well, maybe you should have. Maybe you should have concentrated. Yeah. On yours, Howard, yes. <laughs> Keep your eyes on your own bench. That maybe you'd have done better. <laughs> Sorry, Howard. Sorry. Oh, that's where. Oh, this is turning into part podcast, part roast. My goodness. Sorry, Howard. Oh, I can't wait to get onto your two seasons. Howard, stop, stop racking up the insults oh, now. Oh my goodness. 
Okay, well, let's head into our technical challenge. And uh, rather infamously, we had the eight English muffins challenge. We're looking for light air holes in the middle, but then that nice chewy texture that English muffins are with a lovely crispy simile and a crunchy bit on the outside. Uh, two and three quarter hours for this challenge. Now, Howard, we're going to come to you straight away to talk about the... The elbowing of the muffins by the very, very, very naughty Sue Perkins. Watching it back, I could just see it happening because we knew it was coming in slow motion. She just did it. No. Um, but you didn't seem to notice at the time that she that she'd done that. I didn't see it at all. And the the thing that that kind of shocked me and, and worried me a little bit when we did lift the tea towel up and see the kind of elbowed muffin is I thought I'd done it myself. I, uh, that was my first thought. It was only when you watch the whole thing back and you, you see the moment at which she does it that, that I felt a little bit relieved that I hadn't been so silly as to do it myself, really. Oh, the relief. <laughs> it's like, thank God it wasn't me. It's such an iconic Bake Off moment, though, isn't it? But Howard had a few, didn't, didn't he? So we've still got... Custard Gate to come. Yeah. Oh, it's Custard Gate oh, next week. Is that when Custard Gate is? Because we yes. remember, I mean, of all the iconic Bake Off moments, I think we have obviously Baked Alaska in the Bin is number one. But then I think I think of Stolen Custard is probably number two. And Elbow, elbow on the Muffin is right up there. Like it's, uh, it's one of... It's, yeah. it's, you've delivered so much for this country, Howard, and we love you for it. <laughs> You're a national treasure, a national treasure. Now, the technique of English muffins. Most people's difficulty did seem to be knowing how hot to heat the griddle and then how much dough to put on it, how big to make them. Howard, what have you learned from watching that back? Because we've done an English muffin class with you, haven't we? We have, we have. We have I've, I've, and I always tell people it's... It needs to be on a reasonably low heat. You want to catch a little bit of colour, but that that heat has got to permeate at least halfway through the muffin before you turn it over and do do the other side. The cheats way, I have to say, is, and I think Jamie Oliver does it, is you get your colour on the griddle and then you finish it off in the oven. But we weren't allowed to do that in this particular task, so... Um, it is like a piece of fish or whatever, where you've got to get it cooked at least halfway through uh, and then turn it over and get the other side done. Didn't do that. The thing that I found funny was people dithering about how big to cut them. And you just thought, you people must have seen English muffins. Like, you know how big they are, surely. No? That's how big? I don't know. Is it? I don't know. But yeah, it just uh, it just tickled me. And then there were some very, very thin ones, weren't there? What what happened? Was, was it the dough not proving, Howard? Because did you struggle proving your dough or you weren't sure if it was proving? I don't know. My dough, my dough looked as if it hadn't proved very well. But actually, when I made it into the muffins, it, it was fine. If it, it was just the fact that it wasn't cooked all the way through. That was that was the main problem. So yeah, I don't know why it looked so odd. I mean, the the other thing that obviously you notice is I'm we well, you can't notice, but I'm wearing a something like that looks like a blue t-shirt underneath my shirt, and actually that was a long sleeve thermal thing because it was so cold in the oh. tent. Yeah, so we, you know, although we were proving in the proving drawer, the general. Uh, temperature in that tent was very very oh, is that why rob had that hair dryer yes thank you. <laughs> it's funny they always say that in bread week it's always cold and in chocolate or ice cream week it's always really hot it's always the wrong way around and they were joking about that before they did the filming and then in our bread week it was freezing it was absolutely freezing it had never been more cold before or since and uh yeah it's weird oh ours was absolutely freezing and what people listening might not know is all the ingredients and bowls and things are put on our benches by the home economists the night before and if the temperature outside the tent's minus 
two or three, all your flowers and bowls and everything all cold as well. Are, you know, so cold when we, we start at that time in the morning. And we, we had terrible trouble getting things to prove in our first challenge. We all learned a bit by this, the, the, the next day. But yes, Howard, that's probably why things weren't proving as well, because it was so blooming cold. And they can't put heaters in the tent because the sound of the blowing of these big blow heaters ruins the sound. So, you know, the, the, the sound technicians turn all the heaters off as soon as the cameras start to roll and it's blooming cold. I thought the heaters were just for the judges, just to keep their delicate little toes warm. Is there, was it for us? Uh, well, they did have the, Mary, Mary always had a hot water bottle. Oh, did she? She, she, yes, one, yeah, yeah. she always had a hot water bottle. I, well, I never met Mary Berry, did I, so. Some not perfect conditions for bread proving there, definitely. So yes, we had a reasonable week for technique here. Nobody did appallingly bad. There's obviously the the main pitfalls of of muffins needing to be a little tall, needing to be baked through. You know, sometimes it was a bit too brown or the griddle was too hot. Um, but I think everybody did rather well. Howard, I think the only comment you got was slightly raw. Yes, and, and I think Paul was really disappointed because I remember when, obviously, there's, there's more to, they say more during the judging than is actually broadcast, but he's, I remember him saying, oh, these look nice. And then my, <laughs> so it's like, expectation. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, they're not, not as nice as I thought they were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that Paul says that really sort of people take objection to, and I totally understand why, is when he has something that's a bit underbaked, he'll poke it and he'll say, if you push that, it goes back to being dough. Like, that happens to any bread. If you grab a fistful of, bre of bread and squeeze it into a lump, it turns back into dough anyway. Like, of course it becomes heavy. And it's a very odd criticism. It's like, look, if I poke this with a stick, it's now got a hole in it. It's just a very odd, like... <laughs> 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 well, there is... Yes. I, yeah, okay, fair enough. I think if it is underbaked, it does come together in a bit of a lump. Didn't Sue or somebody mention Paul pressing it with his big fingers? It was Mary. Mary did say, she said, well, it will do if you keep poking it with your big fingers. <laughs> <laughs> she has a point. I really liked Kimberly's technique of getting a little bit of yeah, extra dough too. and using that as a tester to see how far hers had cooked through. And of course, she did very, very well uh, coming first in this challenge. So that's definitely a good way to go. I'm like a broken record with this, but the people who do best on Bake Off are the people who keep their heads screwed on. And she that's what she did. She was thinking outside the box, thinking what she could do to test it. And uh, she was a very, very, very smart move. And I wasn't surprised to see her at the top. Could you sort of tell from looking at everyone who was going to do well then, Howard? No, I don't think you could, actually, because as I say, mine looked, looked pretty nice. Uh -oh. But then <laughs> it, it's when you, yeah, when you open them up. I thought, oh, I've not done too bad here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from one having an elbow in it, yeah. Were you busy looking, were you busy looking at Ruby's up front? Was that what it was? <laughs> yeah, Ruby came third, didn't she? She did, so, yeah. Yeah, she did yeah. I felt so sad for Becca. She was so upset, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was so upset. Oh, and you know, I didn't remember. I don't, my memory for past series are pretty poor. I didn't remember her being so upset. Oh, I wanted to give her a big hug, bless her. I know, considering how far yeah. she got mm. in the series. See, yeah, absolutely. Becca made a rookie mistake there, which is when you feel like you're about to burst into tears, you have to run to the toilet and do it in there so they can't film you. That's, that's where she, she messed <laughs> up it up. Just a pro tip for anyone who's going to be on Bake Off. That's how, that's how you avoid the cameras. I need the toilet. Don't let them see you cry. Oh, I think it makes the viewers love you even more. Oh, that'd be why the viewers didn't love me. All right. It does. <laughs> Probably. Too much time in the yeah. toilet. I think it was season one, like UK season one. And there's a moment where Sue just talks to the camera and she says it's something like it's really upsetting to see people bake and then it not be well received because when you bake you put so much love and heart into it and when it's not particularly well received because maybe it doesn't taste very nice or it's not as good as everybody else's it's really heartbreaking to watch these people give their love and it almost gets rejected and it was like a really 
deep and serious moment in series one, which I'm not sure in, in the States if you guys have seen it. But every time I see somebody crying about their bake on Bake Off, I just think of that moment. And I think you're right, Jen. It really does make the British public go, it's okay. We still love you. Oh, yeah, no. It's your effort being judged. And, and you know, like we've all, and I'm sure we're, Jane and Howard are exactly the same. We've all baked something at home that's been dreadful. And we still thought, oh, well, I'm not going to give it that to anyone. I'm not going to take a picture of that. You know, that's going to go, well, not in the bin, but that'll go in the tin and I'll eat it without anyone else looking. And when you have to present that on national television, it's bloody mortifying. It's, uh, but we don't get a choice, do we? So, <laughs> But I would say that uh, Mel and Sue were the loveliest, kindest, sweetest, funniest people you could wish to have in the tent. You know, you do definitely felt that they felt your pain and that they were willing you on. I, I just absolutely loved them. And so if, if there was anybody that I would have wanted in the tent to sort of give me a big hug, it would have been one of those two if my bake had really gone badly. Because uh, for me, in the 10 weeks that I saw them, they were as lovely as you would imagine them to be. But makes me feel all warm and fuzzy watching them again. I love watching Mel and Sue. Oh, I, you really Even, do. so funny. You really do. Even when they're elbowing your buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Even with their elbows in the muffins. Yeah. So our muffin challenge, uh, Lucy, bless her, was down in 12th position and then Becca 11th and Howard 10th. Very disappointing. Oh, and then Ali was ninth. Deborah. Wow, eighth. make him feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> do better, Howard. Do better. Um, I'm glad I wasn't twelfth. I have to have to say. So, yeah. <laughs> Just don't be the worst, Howard. It's fine. It's fine. Deborah coming in eighth. Glenn seventh. Mark sixth. Um, Robert fifth. Christine fourth. Ruby third. Francis second. And Kimberly first. Now, don't they say that whoever does really well in bread? week usually gets to the final and I can't help but noticing that first second and third place were Kimberly Francis and Ruby oh it's a good point yes good point I don't know if it's still correct but at one point it was true that if you were star baker in bread week you made it to at least week eight I think that's that was true I don't and know if that's still it true I think John Waite was star baker in bread week as well wasn't he there so. you go oh. and I believe that was with Ed Kimber as well uh-huh there we go something to watch for future series now, our lovely listeners, we would love to hear your questions for our bakers here. If you've got any questions, maybe specifically for Howard, because it's uh, his series we're reviewing, or any question at all about anybody's time on the Bake Off or any baking question you'd really like to know, then please do email us or contact us on social media and let us know. You can email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can contact us via any of our social media channels. We are Bake with a Legend on all platforms. Now, we do have a question here that I would love to ask all three of you from Alice in Austin in Texas. She says, do you feel like you grew as a baker during your whole series? And if so, what was the most interesting or useful thing that you learned in the tent? Howard, let's start with you. Yes, I did. I did grow as a baker. I, I think I went in quite naive. I mean, obviously, this was the first time that I'd actually applied for, for the programme, got on first time. There's that danger, if you like, that you haven't been through the audition process once before and gained a little bit of experience. But yeah, I, I think it was great just to pick up little, I, I don't think there was any single thing, but I picked up loads of little tips from people how they did certain things you sort of you see people with with kind of preset rolling pins and things like that you think oh that's a good idea you know so I I, I think it was it was little tips techniques and things like that that I picked up but I have to say I've learned an awful lot more since as well so I, you you're always learning I would have said not very much, but then actually I tend to agree with Howard. It's lots of little things that you picked up along the way. And obviously with the challenges being set, you're forced to make things that maybe you actually don't have any particular interest in making otherwise. So I sort of learned to bake a, a few things that, you know, like Madeline's never really piqued my interest before, but then I had to make, you know, a whole bunch of them. And actually I quite like making them now, you know. So it's so it's more sort of very specific little skills. Um, but I think the thing, the, 
the biggest thing the bake-off really gives you is just the confidence to know that you can do it. You know, that if, if you if you try, you'll actually succeed more than you'll fail when it comes to new things or different flavours or personalising recipes. So just the confidence and there's a bit more self-belief, maybe. Yeah. I would agree to, with, with both of them. And for me, it was confidence. And as you go along, you just grow that little bit more I haven't got a specific thing that I, I learned but you know before Bake Off I would never have stood in front of a camera and talked to people and now I would you know like let me go in front of that camera I'm quite happy to talk um, I'm ready <laughs> constantly but yes it, it does give you the confidence because most of us had never written our own recipes before we'd always done an airy berry or a well not, not so much Paul's it, it gives you that confidence to try and know that you can and to the flavours that your family like at home, other people like as well. And I just think it was a, just an overall growing experience. I, I can't, couldn't recommend it highly enough to people. If they want to have a go, just apply. Took me three times to get on, by the way, and many people two or three times. So just if you do apply, never give up. Uh, but no, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant experience. And I would love to go back and do it again, knowing what I know now. I think I might rein my bakes back a bit to make sure I can get them done in time. Because it's the time is the killer. And that's the sad thing for a lot of these people is you know, they, they look as though they're not very good bakers, but actually they're still brilliant bakers. It's just the timing that floors them. Certainly in these early series, they were all brilliant bakers, but it's just you get the timing wrong. And you look silly. And that's the thing I think that made Becca cry so much, wasn't it? She didn't, she felt she was letting herself down and her friends and family down. Uh, but she didn't, of course. It would be so lovely to have like a Bake Off of the Redemption series where all the people that went off in week one and two get a chance to have another couple of weeks and be like, yes, you know, get their, get their time back on television, especially since we know you guys get nearly all of your recipes very early on. And then to do all that effort, put all that work in to make the recipes and then don't get to show them because you happened to not have the best muffins that week. You know, it's really sad. It's a good idea, but hear me out. What about people who are good bakers but just messed up? Sort of people went home in week six? Maybe, maybe <laughs> I think yeah, it, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I think yeah. it ought to be week finalists. Yeah. Finalists who didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant like we need to pit you all against each other and oh this is going to be brilliant or in some cases uh, I've spoken to Howard about this before we can just dress you up to be another person and then we, we can just <laughs> throw you into the tent and like Dan you can be George from Weymouth and like we'll see how far you'll get and see if anyone discovers you I love this idea I'm going to make this happen I was talking with one of the production assistants and she and I said, I've got a brother, Don. I think he's going to apply next year. She's like, really? It's like, yeah, he looks exactly like me, but wears glasses. But she didn't get the joke for a minute. I was like, okay. <laughs> She's like, really? I was like, no, not really. <laughs> but, you know, we'd all love to go back and have another bash. Oh, my God, it'd be so much easier the second time round. But I guess the charm is, you know, the charm is that it's all people who are brand new to it. You know, I don't, I don't know if it would be the same show. It wouldn't be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Alice, for your question. Keep your questions coming in, everybody. Uh, we cannot wait to hear what you have to ask our lovely bakers, and we shall be reading out your questions next week. And now we head into our showstopper challenge, where it was, as we've mentioned before, a decorative shaped loaf. The decorativeness was the only aspect that Mary and Paul dictated, but the flavours and the flowers were completely up to the baker. And this was a four hour challenge. And obviously this is where we have Howard's beautiful Picasso sunbread. Now, Howard, um, if I remember correctly, this is inspired by a print that you have at home. Yes, I don't have a real, a genuine Picasso. It's just a, <laughs> it's a print in the hallway. But yes, I, it was when I was trying to think of ideas, I thought, I wonder if that would make a, a, a bread, you know? And you, th and you think... Oh, yeah, it probably would, actually. And I could probably do that. I could probably shape that. I think I shaped it a little bit messier in practice and actually on the programme than I would do it now. I, I, I'm neater 
at my uh, my shaping now, but yeah. Oh, I thought it looked charming. What inspiration seems to come from all over the place? How would you were inspired by a print? Ali was inspired by a dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jane and Dan, what's the weirdest place you've got inspiration from for a bake? I think I'd like to have had a bit more notice on that question, Sarah. I, <laughs> yeah. I just got a complete blank on that one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can't. I can honestly say I don't know. When I did my garden design degree, we were told don't get inspiration from gardens, get inspiration from art and nature because that will make a much more interesting design. And and maybe that's what we ought to do with our bakes. But no, I can't. I can't think at all. I mean, the awful thing is it's probably going through Pinterest now. But <laughs> that's not. <laughs> yeah. I think the trick is, what I always do is I make a design and then come up with some ridiculous reason to justify it. You know, like uh, on my season, I made a dessert that was shaped like a peach just because it was going to have peach in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, my, James and the Giant Peach is my kid's favourite book. Like, just make up some nonsense to justify why you're doing it. Like, <laughs> Do it that way around. Okay, there you go. good that's, to know. Yeah. That's yeah. a cute backstory. Uh, the sad truth is you do get it from things like Pinterest and Instagram and, you know, things you see and. I love to take ideas from other people's, from like 10 different things that I like, and I just steal all the ideas and put it together and give it my own little little twist. So I do sort of rob a lot of ideas from other people. I'm sorry that's not very inspired, but it is the truth. <laughs> yeah, but, but nothing, not? is, nothing is original these days. Everything is somebody's, somebody's done before, and then it's been tweaked and improved or, or not improved, as the case may be. So... I would say look everywhere for inspiration, really. But, you know, for this challenge, if I had four hours to create a decorative loaf, I think I'd probably make a ball of bread and then put some tomatoes on it. Oh, you are mean, <laughs> aren't you? Aren't you mean, poor Lucy? You knew even before she started that, that she was going home, didn't you? Bless her. You kind of did. I mean, I listen, I'm sure it was delicious and it was probably a tried and tested recipe that she knew was very nice. But... It was just a ball. You're like, oh, that's not... Oh, did you think so at the time, Howard? Well, I remember, as I, th I think it was probably in week one, I was chatting to Lucy and I said, what are you doing for your decorative loaf? And she said, oh, I'm doing quite a simple shape. Just, it's the way that, that it's cut. And I have to say, I thought, well, maybe I'm doing something a bit too complicated then for mine. This was one of those occasions where the brief was a little bit ambiguous. I was looking at the brief uh, actually earlier on and it did say a decorative shaped loaf and it, it said even a simple loaf, if it's cut properly or whatever, can be decorative. And you're thinking that might have led Lucy down the wrong path. It was a very pretty loaf. It looked very yes. pretty. It's a very classic pretty loaf. But it wasn't decorative. But again, you say it's open up to interpretation, isn't it? If I was thinking of a decorative cut loaf, I might think of like a sourdough where, you know, people cut in like the wheat sheets and the leaf patterns. Like if they had lots of cuts, that might be yes. quite decorative. Yes. yes, yes. Maybe that's more what they meant. Like in, um, oh, was, I know it's Rosie's season where they did, yes. I think, no, Rosie did oh, like a yeah. lion and a giraffe and an yeah. elephant. And they were fantastic. That was fantastic. That was a lovely season. I, I loved that. David's ones, the masks, where the different yes. coloured doughs Yes. Yes. fantastic yeah. something like that well it did sound a very very nice i mean roasted tomato and garlic just absolutely gorgeous what's not to like I and know. she used the no. juice from the tomatoes as part of the liquids to, yes. to i thought that's a genius actually i really like that idea and her own sourdough starter you know she's clearly not a bad baker She's clearly, clearly got some no. good classic stuff in there and it just wasn't her week. And as you, you've you all said before when people have asked in classes, you don't know how far other people are going to go. So you must surely all turn up one week saying, I'm going to do this. And somebody says, I'm doing that. And you're like, oh, you're doing that? Oh, oh God. Yeah. And you yeah, all yeah, compare. Yeah. So that, that must be really hard as well. It, it's interesting, just going back briefly to the breadsticks, Ali and I had a conversation and he said, oh, I'm doing a Moroccan-type breadstick. And I said, oh, so am I. So he said, oh, I think I might change mine. I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I'd uh, changed mine to garlic parmesan and blue cheese instead of sticking with the Moroccan ones. Well, it sounded <laughs> so nice, though, with the lemons. Yeah, yeah, they they nice. commented they on that, nice. really, yeah. about how the lemon came from. Was it just too wet? 
Was it too wet? Was that the problem? I think it was partly too wet and just the length of the bake, to be perfectly honest. I've made them many, many times since. And if you if you just leave them in for longer, just so that they crisp up a bit more. Yeah. It just looked a little limp, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. Dan, I did stop Dan. it. <laughs> no, that, that particular image of Paul bending the breadstick, yeah. I, I, I did download that because I just thought, that's such a lovely picture. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Put it on the wall next to your Picasso. It sort of says, you know, keep going because... Uh, you know, that might have been a highlight of the programme, but you can bake a better breadstick than that now. Oh, so, yeah. that, of course you can. You've yeah. made plenty of breadsticks That's gross, for us. Howard. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with these earlier seasons, as we mentioned last week, you don't always get to see everything about what everybody was making. Poor Deborah doesn't didn't seem to get much airtime. No, she did. did, did or last week as well. I mean, her walnut fleur loaf looked beautiful, but we didn't really hear anything about it. I've no idea what was in it other than walnuts. No, no, no idea. <laughs> I think Deborah is probably was retroactively punished by the production team for stealing Howard's custard. I think <laughs> they just run. <laughs> just removed her from the show. <laughs> the interesting thing is the people who feature m- most in the episodes, just this is ed- just editing and TV in general, are the people who do the best and the people who do the worst. Yeah, so true. if they're not in the episode, you kind of know they're just middle of the pack, which is fine because actually we all like to do well, obviously, but actually the main thing is just to get through to the next week, isn't it? So I'm sure, you know, we all like a bit of screen time especially if it's favourable, but I'm sure she was just glad to get through to the next week. Yeah, probably. I mean, even Frances didn't get much screen time for the Showstopper Challenge, did she? No, again, I don't I don't know what her flavours were, if no, there were no any flavours. No, 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 just sailors not. I'm hoping you'll agree with me on this. So her, her loaf, <laughs> her loaf was braided to look like a knot, but then it had kind of like loose ends. So I feel like the bake would have been really uneven. You would have had some bits of that bread that were like, really crispy and crunchy and then the big lump yeah. in the middle would have been sort of softer I could, just can't imagine that was actually it was very beautiful but I couldn't imagine that that would be very evenly baked no I, w- I would agree I we all know that if we have some if we don't shape something properly in the oven w- whether it's pastry or whether it's bread dough bits will get overcooked and bits will be undercooked if you're just you know if you've got it very unevenly done I didn't like hers particularly I didn't I think didn't think it was particularly beautiful, to be honest. Maybe you blinked and you missed it because, again, she didn't get much TV time. But um, knowing Francis, the way we know Francis, I thought that was quite a bit understated because I, w- I went back to my notes and went, well, did I actually blink and miss Francis's bake? But, you know, it was there, but it didn't make a great impression on me, to be honest. Kimberly's made a big impression on me. Yeah, it looked lovely. Yeah, it's lovely, Gorgeous. wasn't it? Mm. Yes, it was lovely. Did that wow you in person? I think I think so. And I think there was a couple of weeks, actually, where we thought, oh, Kimberly's star baker. And because she, she'd done it in this particular week, it, it looked lovely. Paul, I think, said it covered all the bases. She came first in the technical challenge. Really interesting flavours in, in the signature bake. So you think... Kimberly's definitely in the running here. Yeah. Mm. Kimberly, yeah, yeah. That was good. And uh, she had some really good comments as well from the judges. Very decorative, good structure, aromatic and delicious. So she's literally ticked all the boxes there. I felt really sorry for Mark. His beautiful sage and garlic eight-strand plait um, with his lovely little um, ears of, of, of wheat. <laughs> and then Mary said, oh, they look like posh slugs. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, they did look Never a mind. bit weird. You wouldn't really have known they were ears of wheat, would you? To be Probably honest, not. No. I don't know what a posh, posh little slug looks like. I think, I think he has I a top hat and a monocle. <laughs> yes, of course. Do you not have posh slugs in Sheffield? <laughs> More like those poisonous caterpillars that people say, "Don't touch that caterpillar," because all those bits mm. poking out. But I have to say. 
I've tried making uh, ears of wheat, you know, for decorative bread. And I actually did it on in my bread week on my Coravai. I tried to do them. And I just stopped and did something else instead because they do just sort of mould back down into one yeah. lump. And you have to really separate them to make them stay apart. So I ended up giving up with that. Um, and I think maybe he should have done the same. I think a braided loaf actually looks lovely enough by itself. What I might have done is just sort of put a few little dots of colour or, you know, not something quite so bulky because I feel it's going to weigh down and it's going to soften. I might sort of bake little dead doughs and just sort of stick it on afterwards. Oh, is that, was that allowed, Howard? I, I think so. I don't, I don't know whether Rob's psychic octopus was was all in one piece, was it? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. He said it was all in one piece. Yeah, yeah. But he's he stuck inedible things in it afterwards. Yes, yeah. So uh, I'm not a fan, a huge fan of that. But if it's like a dead dough or a decoration you add on afterwards, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, I think I think Ruby did the same thing actually because I think she rolled up little bits of foil and dotted them in, and then replace the foil after baking with something like chocolate eggs or something that, that oh, was that what it was oh. it, i think like that's that. what she put yeah. in yeah but she could have had she could have had bits of blue and green dough instead of doing that which i think i would have possibly liked that's true or maybe they were the eyes yeah. i don't know but I thought, going back to Mark, I thought Paul going, well, I'm not the person to present an eight-stranded plat, you know, because, I mean, I think he... You know, <laughs> not applaud him for trying to make the eight-stranded plat. I thought that was a bit mean, wasn't it? I... But did you know that Paul actually invented bread? Yes. <laughs> oh, right, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> he he did so well, you know, going for an eight-strand plat. I mean, gosh, you do sort of two or three turns, most of us, and then you just lose the will to live. So the well, fact that he actually managed to get one done, she should be very proud of that. I think so. Well, Paul is actually right about something, because I braid a lot of bread, and you have to braid it really tightly, otherwise it goes flat. So it, it is actually really yeah. important to braid it super tightly. Um, if it's Because with three, it doesn't really matter, because it's always tight. But once you start getting into like six or eight strands, if you really have to keep it tight, otherwise you will just end up with a flat, lumpy thing. Thing. So um, he was kind. He was. I have to give him his props there, Jane. He was correct about that. Oh no, he's. He knows his bread, doesn't he? I, I, yeah, I'm not getting away from that. I just think, God, he, has, he just needs to be nice. Sometimes. Give him a break. He just needs to be nice sometimes. I think he was really in his Simon Cowell stage. No, there, wasn't I suppose he, he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but can I ask you guys, Ruby's? Because I've never heard this before, and I mean to look it up, and I haven't done yet. Ruby said that she'd read somewhere that if you scald the milk, it because we know that if you add fat to dough, the fat inhibits the yeast, doesn't it? So this is why an enriched dough is much, much slower to rise. But she said if you scald the milk, it actually does something to it that then doesn't inhibit the yeast quite so much and gives you a lighter and fluffier the result uh, and i wonder if any of you knew anything about that because i've not heard that there's a protein in milk called glutathione and that will inhibit the rise so if you bring the milk to a momentary boil it kills off that protein oh, so that's, that's what that oh, is okay. yeah. and so is that not in in butter surely that's in butter or is it not in butter i think it will be in butter as well but obviously you don't want to boil your butter do you or maybe you do no, maybe you do um <laughs> I used to scald my milk all the time, and then after a while I just stopped bothering because you have to leave it to cool, because otherwise it will kill the yeast, obviously. I didn't find it made that much difference. I'm sure it does make a difference, but for my personal experience, I didn't feel it made oh, that okay, much difference, interesting. so I stopped bothering. The other thing you can do is use skimmed milk powder and add that along with the water instead of adding milk, because that has already been heat treated and oh. there's no piece of iron in that. So that's sometimes what I would do. I use skimmed milk powder when I'm uh, making bread in the mum and dad's bread machine, and that always comes out really nice. So that is something good to know. We're learning a lot today, aren't we, boys and girls? Can I just comment on Christine's? Because my very, very favourite looking one that looked delicious when you cut through it, I mean, I don't know why she just put one load of plats and then another lot on top, which is what it looked like to me, but um, perhaps we just didn't see that. But for flavour, that onion, cheese and bacon beautiful distribution of bacon and onion all the way through it. Obviously, you can't see the cheese because it sort of melts a bit. But, oh, I could have eaten that straight off the screen. I thought it looked absolutely delicious. 
It was the one I would have wanted to take home, apart from Howard's, of course. There's things that look good in a baking competition and things that are just lovely to eat. And that just sounded like something that was lovely to eat, didn't it? Um, so, yeah, it's um, maybe doesn't win her all the prizes, but it looked delicious. You know, I don't think you can go wrong with that. Cheese, bacon and onion. I mean, Ooh, what's not to like? We've, we've gone very quiet now, haven't we? Just sort I'm of thinking, thinking about, about bread. <laughs> I completely missed the the cheese and onion in in that bread. I it clearly was a, a blink and you miss it. I I know at the end they said it has a very bacony taste. And I was like, oh, it has bacon in it. Good, I'll write that down. Yes, absolutely. I I didn't see that, so I must have missed that one. Yeah, did we know what Glenn's tasted like? Oh, Glenn's, hang on, tastes great. It's all I've got. Tastes great. And he made little little mice. I yes, love those little mice. Yes. Weren't those little mice sweet? So, <laughs> so sweet. Cute. <laughs> so yes, some beautiful, beautiful loaves um, with some fantastic originality and some gorgeous flavours. And it gave us our Bread Week star baker, the lovely Ruby. She did very, very well in her breadstick challenge with her two coloured doughs she came third in the technical and of course her peacock bread was absolutely delightful and enjoyed by both the judges so i think a very deserving bread week star baker there i think so i think um you know the showstopper probably pushed it in her direction but if you ask me if i'm voting with my heart I think uh, I think Howard should have won. <laughs> no, no. I think, <laughs> I think it was. I think I think Kimberly was a strong contender, wasn't she? As we've said, justice yeah. for Howard. Howard, you're going to yeah. be my pick for Star Baker every week. So just get comfortable. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put any money on it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, with Star Baker, we do have to lose somebody, and of course, possibly inevitably, we did lose Lucy. Some gorgeous flavours, especially in that tomato and garlic loaf, but it just didn't quite fit the brief. We've seen bakers fall prey to that before. It's a very good dough, it's a very good bake, but it just doesn't quite fit the brief. I believe that's what what got Manor out in uh, in your season, Dan, maybe. So it's something that's happened before. Yeah, it's it's not it's not too surprising. I think if you make something complicated to completely mess it up, then obviously that's going to give you lose you a bunch of points. But if you're very simple and it's not utterly amazing, then I think you're really in trouble. And her signature was the real shocker because it was very basic and poorly executed. So I think she was put herself against the wall straight away for her signature and it didn't get much better for her, unfortunately. But I thought that last showstopper sounded very, very delicious and I would have uh, gladly eaten it, but it, it wasn't a looker, was it? Well, it was a looker, but when they said they wanted, um, what were the exact word, decoratively shaped, wasn't really shaped in a decorative way, I don't think. Putting, you know, just a cut is not a shape as such. So, yeah, sadly. I, I, felt, I, I felt really sorry for her, actually, because, all, you know, it did look yummy. Didn't, they t- didn't it take a long time for them to announce who was going there? Oh, it was so It's like, if you spend all this time telling us about the Muffin Man and then really <laughs> dragging out how long it's going to be, we could have found out what, what people's flavours were. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're going to find out what Glenn put in his loaf. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've written here, why did they ban the Muffin Man's bell? Why did they? I missed that. Why did they ban his bell? I don't know. I fast-forwarded through the Muffin Man, so I don't know. The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man. So we all love Shrek, don't we? Do you know the Muffin Man? Do you know the Muffin Man? (laughs) I am going to say this every week, because I think me and Howard are going to disagree every week on this. I very much enjoy the history bits, and I want them to come back. Thank you very much, and thank you. I agree. I absolutely agree. <laughs> the trouble is, the adverts take up the time that it would have had. I appreciate that. I do appreciate no, it's that. On commercial television. <gasps> Bring back Four the grumpy people talking about Bake Off, hey? <laughs> Come back next week. Then <laughs> <laughs> they'll still be grumpy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jane, Howard, and Dan, for talking to us this week about Bread Week for Series 4. Don't forget, everybody, you can join us for Howard's fabulous bread class where we will be doing his decorative Picasso sunbread as well as his lovely breadsticks. That's Sunday, the 12th of March at 
5 p.m. UK time. It's my birthday. Oh, is that your birthday? Oh, oh happy birthday, Jade. So you can say happy birthday with your decorative what's-its on that day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We could all we could all wish Jane a happy birthday with our decorative what's-its. Happy birthday, Jane. Can you believe you're 37? No, I can't. Yeah. No. But I can well, I. Not, not today is my birthday. The 12th is my birthday. But the trouble is when you get to my age, you can't remember what it was like to be 37. That's the thing. <laughs> Well, we hope to see some of you on Jane's birthday for Howard's Bakes. This is a a very... We're we're combining lots of things into one. This is very exciting. We hope to see you all very, very soon. And we hope to see you next week as well for the next episode of The Bake Down. Thank you so much, everybody. See you soon. Bye. just heard a stripped media production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 